Hello, Brett. Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Bobby? Good. Thank you for joining me. This is a very special episode because, well, because it's March and March is important, evidently, as you just reminded me before we get on the call. I'll let you have the glory for that. But more importantly, it's our four-year anniversary date, which is why I'm excited about this one of, of gamble-free time. So since you are, I, I honestly don't believe I would be an entrepreneur if I never met you because I would, did not have the balls. So by seeing what you and your wife had both done independently and now what you're doing together kind of inspired me to be brave. It wasn't just, oh, Brett can do it so I can do it, but it took some of the fear out of it. So we're not going to talk about that, but I know I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your help. So I'm going to have you start by telling a little about yourself because they don't know you yet. Well, thanks. And that was a big compliment, by the way, because you're a very driven person. So I am an executive director of a company. We're a small clinic called Seed, and we focus on gambling addiction and the mental health aspect uh, surrounding um, gambling addiction, really trying to get to the root of the problem. Uh, where we stand, the effects it has on our brain, um, similarities with chemical substance abuse. And we do that in many facets we have. Currently, we're running individual, seeing individual clients, and as well as doing a group program as well. And sort, sort of on a small scale, small time scale, I would say, uh, meeting essentially six hours a week. We have two, three-hour groups um, per week. And our goal is to, my biggest goal when I first started was to, I would say, tackle the world, which was my biggest mistake. Um, <laughs> and we've had a lot of growing pains. And, and what I've really learned from this and being around people who are kind of in the gambling world is, I need to bring about awareness before I can do anything else. Let's just assume that everyone believes that behavioral and process addictions are addictions and that uh, people don't have a choice. And that has been what I found to be our biggest problem and our biggest um, hurdle to jump over is people still think it's a choice. You know, people still think, well, just stop gambling. Just stop drinking. Just, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. You think, to, me. You uh, press the stop button. Yeah, I mean that would have been amazing for me if I would have known that a long time ago. We probably wouldn't be in this situation. But on the flip side, I'm grateful that I'm in this situation and that uh, um, I've been able to come through the other side and and see the bigger picture. And so that's what we're working on is taking small steps of bringing awareness. And obviously with March being um, problem gambling awareness month, this is uh, probably the, the best time to start. And, and we're doing that contacting and meeting locally with uh, primary care providers, uh, mental health facilities, EAP facilities, um, we've got a lot of these going and giving presentations 
and just getting the awareness out there. Um, I kind of, you know, at first I thought, you know, it's going to be easy to, we'll raise money, we'll do this, and and uh, we'll just get the ball rolling because everybody cares. And it, unfortunately, it's just not the case. And uh, I think it's bringing the awareness. And what we're finding, too, is that a lot more people are starting to bring to light in their own mind that, oh, you know, I see my brother doing that a lot, or I see my grandmother doing that a lot. And it, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's sad also on the flip side, but um, it's that awareness part. And as you know very well, you've worked very hard at bringing the awareness for, for gambling and gambling disorder. So that's where we've started and where we're attempting to Bridge the gap, at least locally, for us. That makes sense. Start locally, and then you can go worldwide or something. Some people like to go worldwide. So one of the reasons I have, on the other show, I talk about my like ultimate dream. Like There's a whole bunch of steps to my dream, but one of the end goals is also inspired by you. I want to get enough awareness, power, influence, money, whatever's needed, but I want to get in a position where I can impact laws across different states because we're inconsistent. So you're in Wisconsin, and the part that really pissed me off was I was in Kansas at the time, and I got to go to treatment for free, and you had to pay out of pocket. So can you talk a little bit about what you know about Wisconsin and the differences, what the landscape around the inconsistency looks like that you know about? I could probably start with Minnesota, um, seeing as that's where I, I did end up going to treatment for the, since there's a lack of inpatient facilities throughout the United States, they do. They, that's one state I know that uh, reimburses the the patients or the clients per se for their stay. Um, Wisconsin has zero of that. So we have zero funding um, statewide. There's been, uh, to my knowledge, there's been no even hint of it put forward to, you know, the powers that be, the, there's certain office, the governor's office, even local in the attempt to try to get funding for it. So it becomes a challenge, and I, I can only speak for the state of Wisconsin when I go, you know, one of the gambler's biggest problems is lack of money. Um, <laughs> as you probably know, we we end up to the point where, I mean, we typically owe a lot of money. Um, we, we get into some significant debt. So the hard part then, besides the fact of, the shortage of treatment is we can't afford it. How can we afford this? Um, often five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars to seek treatment when we are extremely in debt. So that is something we've also been working on. There's a great opportunity um, this month, and th there was earlier that uh, to send proclamations. You can go on to the national. Council Problem Gambling's website, and it's actually uh, NCPGambling 
org backslash PGAM, and they have a proclamation sheet that you can fill out and send directly to your governor. Um, you can send to local people, um, any civic officer you feel would be want this awareness. And, and the goal is to, to get our local governments and our uh, you know, local and state governments to just bring the awareness. So this proclamation is written already. Um, you fill in kind of your information. We do it as seed. Um, and you send these to local governors, senators, and try to get them to proclaim these, read these. And uh, yeah, so that's another good opportunity um, for anyone. Uh, three, two, one, no kidding. Um, and all those amazing things out there that we can bring the awareness. Um, doesn't necessarily mean people are gonna read these proclamations, but until we make the effort and push forward to do them. Thank you. I didn't know about that. I should have known about that, but I can put the links in all the places that we put links, I guess, um, and ask anybody for help on that because the awareness is the key. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I do want to go back to seed, but I'm going to go down a little other path here for a minute. As I mentioned earlier, we're celebrating four years and we're both pretty transparent about it. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, congratulations to you as well. And I find, and I'm curious about your experience, I find that the more open I am, the more people tell me about the people they identify. Like you mentioned, the father or the grandmother, people will can see it if they're aware of the symptoms and stuff. Has that been your experience too? By being open about it, you get a lot more feedback? You do. Um it started out as the most difficult thing for me is being transparent about it. Um, I didn't know that I always wanted to be, you know, recognized as <laughs> I am Brett, the recovering gambling addict, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm not shy about it. Yeah, and my goal is to help people. And yeah, they, they, it has been amazing to me to hear people come forward and say, yeah, you know, all these people in my life, I can identify, oh, yeah, I see this issue now. We recently had someone um, who completed suicide, um, who's not part of our gambling program, local, but who I knew very well. And um, the wife said to me, I, I have no doubts now that he was gambling, but I never recognized any of this until after, which is often the case um, with, with gambling addicts. So we're, we're seeing that more and more. I work, um, I went back to school, I'm looking to get my substance abuse counseling degree and I have my substance abuse counseling degree in training. So I'm doing an internship at a facility locally that is chemical substance abuse. And the amount of clients I speak to on the side who go, yeah, I, I gamble a lot. I do this, um, that themselves didn't recognize, um, as being a problem or an addiction. And, you know, it's so common as well. People have co-occurring addictions that if it's not chemical and substance abuse, they go, this is just a behavior. 
I could stop this behavior. So I think we're bringing more awareness. I think we're starting to get to that point. And yeah, it's, we're seeing a lot um, and a lot more since this uh, pandemic, we'll call it as hit is, you know, people have isolated, people have started gambling more, doing things online because they can't go anywhere. So it's become a, I think the growth, the last study they have is gaming addiction has grown 30% during the um, oh, pandemic. So. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Can you just for the sake of, I think I'm, well, I know I know what it means, but for the sake of my audience who might not know, can you explain co-occurring? Uh, co-occurring addiction is essentially having more than one addiction. Um, it's very common in gamblers. Probably, I don't know, more than any other behavioral process addiction, but the, the studies and the numbers and they kind of fluctuate, but they say about 70% of, of problem gamblers or people with gambling disorder have a, a subsequent chemical and substance abuse. Um, typically, it's alcohol with gamblers, but so, you know, co-occurring is having more than one addiction um, at the same time. And when you understand, uh, and I don't want to get into depth, but when you understand the really the effect it has on the brain and your reward center and, and the effects of dopamine, it, it's pretty understandable to that people have more than one addiction. I mean, for a lot of people, it's an escape. So what's my escape? I, I think it's because it's so normalized. People mm -hmm. don't think about it. You know, every convenience store has lottery tickets. We teach kids to go to the arcade and essentially gamble. Absolutely. Put money on Candy Crush, like all the things. It's just so embedded. And and I'm not discounting like alcohol is out there, the normal environment and embedded into the culture too. So I won't say that just gambling is, but I think that's part of what makes it so invisible. That and then like you were saying, it was invisible to that wife. You know, it wasn't on the radar with your friend there. I think what you're doing and especially the outreach in the community, like I'll be honest, I have not done that. I mean, I've been involved in a couple of things, but that's something I could do a better job of. So thank you for giving me something for my to-do list. Well, I think you bring up a good point there, Bobby, too, is it's difficult because there aren't those physical signs that you would typically see in in chemical and substance abuse addicts, for lack of a better word, now, now disorder. But um, you don't have the physical signs. You don't have the slurred speech, the, the red eyes, or the common things people associate with chemical substance abuse. You don't see that in gambling addicts. Um, if I slur my speech, it's usually because I slur my speech all the time. Um, or so... It's that accent. <laughs> you, know, you know, I've been told it's thick. Thick Midwest. <laughs> uh, but I think that's one of the problems. And even my wife could attest to it where she knew something was wrong with me for three years. Just had no clue what that was. Uh, yeah. So I think that's one of the difficulties with gambling disorder. I was kind of lucky. I trained my husband to be there so that I can get more money from him. Um, so he knew. I don't think he was happy about it, but he knew. 
Um, yeah, it is. It is secret. And it's interesting to me how many people get away with it for so long and only get discovered due to like a new credit card or a second mortgage, like paperwork in the house and all the shady things. Um, all right. I want to go back to seed. I totally, my brain is doing its little go in 20 different directions. Sure. So can you talk a little bit about the curriculum at seed and is there anything that makes you guys a little different maybe even from your then from where you're interning like you're really immersed in in all things recovery right now i am and what i love about it is seeing the different avenues that people go about and, and even different uh responses by counselors on how they talk or how they deal with a, a client and really our our biggest thing at seed is again to find the root of that addiction um and just i am big on growth my word is growth um i'm having tattoos that show all growth everything's growth to me um and it's finding a foundation on which to start and then we grow. And we do that through mind, body, and spirit. And we, I don't want to say we use typical you know, psychotherapy methods, but we go along that lines too. But we, we delve deeper. We work with mind, body, and spirit. So we're, we're closely with yoga. We do music therapy. We do, um, Nutrition, we're big on nutrition. We, but we teach life goals too. Um, we offer cooking classes where we work. If you think about when you're in treatment and, and often more in inpatient treatment, but once you leave treatment, what tools were you given um, to be successful once you get out? And I think that's the key thing is so many people haven't have avoided doing all these things for so long. I don't cook for myself. I eat all the out all the time because I'm I'm in the casino all the time or I'm doing this. It's these skills they haven't given themselves that we try to give back to them and we think that's important to give them the little things. Um, working on uh, budgeting. Budgeting's a big thing and we call it uh, maybe you can remind uh, pressure relief groups. Um, in the uh, GA program, Gamblers Anonymous program. Uh, we work closely with that as well. And we have uh, an AODA counselor that, that works with a lot of our groups. And we have two licensed clinical social workers that work closely. I am bringing new things to the table. So I think um, immersing myself into the program has allowed me to see these things and talk to clients that that they're missing. And there always seems to be a common denominator. Well, I don't do anything when I'm not in treatment. Um, I don't know how to do this. I don't have a bank account. I don't, I've never cooked a meal for my family in five years. So it's these things and getting them back to how do you live a healthy lifestyle away from gambling? And to us, it's more, we, we hook them up with aftercare after our program. So we make sure they have a, a counselor. Hopefully that's specific to 
has some sort of gambling training, um, which is very difficult in our area. Um, my wife, in fact, in Appleton, where, where I live in Wisconsin, is the only ICGC um, in the in the Fox Valley. So we're called Fox Valley. So that's servicing 300,000 people that there's only one um, international certified gambling council. It's sad. So these are the things that we're starting to bring to the table. I'm glad you said international gambling because I don't know that people would have known what you were talking about. There are a lot of initials out there. There, there are, yes, there are a lot. I love that it's a holistic approach. When you said nutrition, all I could think of was not only were we not educated about nutrition and treatment, but we weren't fed nutrition that was what we should be feeling our bodies with when we were in treatment. So I'm glad that you're addressing that. There'll be more than disguised hamburger, I guess. Yeah, and... Uh, and again, it, it's, I would think to their defense with the nutrition part is what, what is it? Usually when people come in with chemical substance abuse, they're extremely underweight. Um, so they want to put pounds on them. I mean, I think that is far different than, than gambling addicts, you know? So they advertised on our thing. Oh, we work with nutrition and health, and you know, I think that's far different for a, a gambling addict compared to um, someone with chemical and substance disorder. That makes sense. Okay, so before you got into all this gambling stuff, you had another entrepreneurial career, and I'm kind of curious. I'm going to take you backwards a little. What got you started in that arena? What was it? And I, I think I can see the bridge of how you got to here in your focus. But can you take us a little through that since we, we did a little of the recovery stuff, we'll do a little of the entrepreneur stuff. Sure. Yeah. Before this, uh, well, I mean, I went to college to be a pre-physical, to eventually be a physical therapist, was in school, um, pre-physical therapy degree going to get that uh, didn't go very long before I I went back and I've been uh, working in a culinary field for a long time and I would say probably uh, eight nine years ago had the opportunity after working in a place to begin my own business started a catering business um, which led eventually to do a more personal chef work and had been running that. And I still dabble um, with that occasionally for certain clients. Um, but I've, I had that business for yeah, probably nine or 10 years coming up on now. And it was kind of my passion. My mother was a good cook um, growing up and I love to eat, but I loved it. It was the creative process. I've always had that creative brain, the artistic brain, um, and I couldn't draw. You know, I like to draw. I love that stuff. I love looking at art, but I can't do any of that. And this became sort of my artistic outlet and led me into this career that I'd been doing. I mean, I, I got my first 
culinary job in a restaurant and that's really the only place I've ever worked was you know when I was 14 so was there any similarities on starting the seed adventure like was there any lessons you could transfer from one to the other um I think a lot of legalities you know kind of HIPAA stuff even though we are much more in tune with HIPAA working in a substance, working with, uh, you know, addiction. It, it's similar. It's licensing you need to start a business, insurance that you need, all, all these things. I had sort of that foundation where it became a little bit easier. Um, but if if starting this clinic was as easy as starting a, a catering place uh, we would have been started two years ago so um we we found it to be much more difficult and obviously much more heavy restrictions and laws and stuff like that but um the, the general foundation and what it takes to establish and even the the funding you need to get started what what do you need to have in the bank i mean how much backup money do you need? We need six months of working capital. We need, these are the things that we brought to the table with seed that I would have had no clue had I not had my catering business. So if there's anybody out there thinking of starting a business, you would say, go be a caterer instead of an addiction counselor. I will every day. Um, They're both passions though. That's, that's the beauty of it is do what you're passionate about. And I'm still passionate about both. I'm just more passionate about um, helping people with addiction in all facets. I mean, I'm working on gambling addiction because the awareness needs to be there and the resources are so lacking. But like you, I, I've grown this passion to help other people. And I believe that's my calling now. And that's what um, my Howard power has chosen for me to do. And, and that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. So is there anything that you want to put out there that I did not think to ask? Well, we have seed. We, my wife also has her own business. It's called uh, expressive therapies and she works closely in the, community with a lot of different facets. She works with um, children, young adults with special needs, and they work on, my wife is a licensed, uh, a board certified music therapist, um, as well as a licensed clinical social worker and international certified gambling counselor and uh, guided meditation, anyhow. Um, and they work closely in the community, again, with people with young adults and children with special needs, um, typical people, people with mental health. They work in the school system. Um, they work closely in the mental health community through EAPs. They work all over. And again, they, they employ... 18 therapists, um, music counselors, they do art therapy, um, 
things like yoga. So it's that mind, body, and spirit again of of helping different factors in the community. So we we have a couple things going on. It sounds that way. So the mu- the music therapy is getting applied to addiction too, right? You said that that's part of the seed program. Correct. And we were, and if you think about it, just the effect that music has on people. I know you've known me since we have the same clean date for a while now. And um, music is a passion of mine too. And and the emotions and um, think about it with um, children with autism or young adults with autism. Um, Music is just a, a motor skill. Um, when you have children who are nonverbal and can now communicate through any kind of sound, um, through either drumming or uh, we have a band, we have a legit band that has concerts and it's an amazing thing. But yeah, music's a powerful tool. Um, Right now, we do the same thing with with relaxation and meditation through music, um, but we also do um, defining. And what we do with defining is, you know, how emotionally does this song make me feel? We listen to a song and say, what does this song mean to you? What do you get from this song? How can you apply this to um, things you've done during your using time? And it's become a great tool for people, not only to get that emotion out, but to get a a calmer mind. Um, You do that on purpose? You make people have to interpret the song? It is probably our most popular, one of the most popular things we can do. And it's because people can just relate to music. You think about, well, when you hear a song that you really like, you go, well, I, I remember this and this song was playing at the time or, you know, for a lot of things. It, it's, it, music is a very powerful tool and we use it in many different ways. I'm really curious about this defining thing. So if it's something, are you playing older songs to bring people back to memories like to connect them or is it like just songs and music in general to check in with their you said something about seeing how it makes them feel so emotions i'm really trying to wrap my head around this i'm sorry if it yeah emotions well if a client has a request we'll do that well let's let's today let's let's listen to this song and let's break down what you feel the artist is saying. How does this relate to your life? How does the tone of the song make you feel? Are, are you anxious? Are you sad? Are you, how can we break this down to, to get to the, uh, the roots of, of how you're feeling? And that's the important thing. We play a lot of recovery songs or songs um, from recovering addicts um, that we know are geared towards um, their using. So that obviously helps for them to relate and 
a lot of it is so people don't feel alone. You know, being an addict is such a lonely thing, especially for gamblers. We are most often isolators. We don't want to gamble with other people. Um, while we're gambling, we want to be alone. So it's really to trigger emotion. Even if it triggers sadness, we, we have people that cry. Um, but you're releasing this energy, you're releasing these emotions, and you're making them become aware and try to understand what these feelings inside are doing to them and, and why am I feeling this way? So um, it, it's another way to bring out emotions in people. Thank you for explaining that a little more. I'm, I'm still intrigued by the whole concept. <laughs> so there's music therapy. You mentioned GA. Uh, I know I've been learning about recovery dharma. You're definitely more professionally skilled than I am in this arena. So what is your opinion on best recovery methods or method? And it's a trick question. It is. It's a trick question because we run our own program and what works for me doesn't necessarily work for other people. And we're taught to not push our beliefs or our things on other people. Um, but that being said, um, I think it's the most important thing to be is, is actually working something, working a program. Um, I think you know a lot about that because you've dealt with it, but they call it dry drunk or dry gamblers and people that stay sober for periods of time, but, but don't work a program or don't work on their recovery. And I think that is the biggest thing is, Humble yourself, understand you have a disease, uh, understand that you can't do it alone, and, and I don't want to say immerse yourself because I think people have different thing, beliefs on what the, getting deep into a program, but, but work on yourself. I mean, really get down and work on yourself. Be honest with yourself. Open yourself up to vulnerability, which is difficult for most people. Um, <laughs> for, for most of us. Pardon me for that. Um, but yeah, I, I think an aftercare. Aftercare, once you've been into a program, continue that. I mean, I see a counselor often still. As... as uh, I know you have as well. And these are the important things is never stop working on yourself. Thank you. That's pretty good advice. What, how do you feel about community though? Is that important at all to associate with other people who've quit? It is. I think it is. Um, and you'll find out, you know, what that community means to you. I would say for, a good amount of time after uh, I left treatment, I was very immersed in the program of GA and this. And, you know, as I evolved into doing these other things, I'm still involved in the program, but not, not in the way of, well, 
I go to GA all the time in these things, but I, I think it's such an important thing and uh, have a sponsor and have people that you can relate to and that can understand what you're going through. Being a part of that community is super important. Um, I agree. Those are some of the questions I forgot to ask earlier. So I'll ask you again, in case there's anything else I missed and you want to trigger it or cover. Is there anything we missed? I, you know, I don't. I just, I appreciate you having me on here. And again, my biggest thing is working on awareness now. Um, getting out there, taking baby steps for me and working in the community um, and, and talking to who will ever listen to me. If you listen to me, I'll talk to you. And I, I think that's anyone who wants to help people in the gambling community and, and help with this, that's our biggest, you know, that is really our biggest hurdle right now is, is bringing the awareness. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you in regards to seed or awareness or any of that thing, what's the best way to reach you? Um, multiple ways. You can reach me at, uh, Brett at seedinc.care. Um, you can go to our website, seedinc.care. You can go to our Facebook page, which is miraculously seedinc.care. <laughs> and we have an Instagram page. Uh, all these ways you can get, get through to us and, and get in touch with us. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Um, not specifics about it but how we're starting to branch out is um, we got a call from a woman in Arizona recently um, for one of our, our new clients now and she found us through um, our website um, did some research and her mother is um, a gambling addict and wanted to get her mom into treatment so it's starting to spread um, the awareness. We talked to the mother, bef uh, the daughter beforehand. She's like, I just, I would never know that. I mean, that my my mother and my father went to to the casino all the time together. But I, you know, I would never know that this is a problem. So the awareness is starting. It, it's slow and it's baby steps. And through people like you and the work that you do, and hopefully for what we are doing here in the Fox Valley, in the state of Wisconsin. I can only hope that we reach more people and that is our main goal. Uh, I'm not concerned about raising money and those aren't my focuses. We're worried about helping people and, and doing the best we can in our community. Yes, thank you for all that you do, Brett. You're not gonna like my last question, but sure. I'm gonna ask it anyway. It doesn't have to be business related. But what is your favorite book? Um, you know, I don't like this question because I couldn't tell you the last book I read. But I'm being fair. I ask every single guest this question, so I couldn't not ask you. It would be like discriminating. Um, my favorite book. I, you know, I honestly don't know. I think early on at one time in my college career, I read the book Run, Baby, Run. Um, 
which was about a child who constantly ran from his parents' um, abusive relationship. I couldn't tell you who the author was. Okay, I, was I will look it up. It was one of the only books that I was able to finish from cover to end. So I'm going to go with that one. All right. Very good. We put it in, we put links in, in all our places. So um, it's interesting to see what people say, especially people in the learning environment that are constantly doing all this stuff. Like your learning environment's different than most of ours. We're not all interns and progressing as rapidly in our careers. So uh, it's just an interesting question. So thank you for participating. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, I am going to say farewell. I do appreciate you being on the show. You're one of only two people that have had the honor of being on both of my shows other than me. So thank you for well, that. I feel honored. Um, I really appreciate you having me and I know you will and just continue to do the great things that you're doing with uh, gambling disorder and helping people. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Brett.